Welcome to Unraveling Midlife. I'm your host, Sarah Spence. Today's show is an eclipse special. The new moon is in Scorpio, and it's also a solar eclipse, though we won't have this one affecting us physically here in New Zealand. Eclipses do impact everyone on an energetic level. That's not what today's about, uh, but do be aware that there's all sorts of hidden energetic things. Which leads me to Scorpio, which is this zodiacal sign associated with transformation, power, intensity, and hidden things. I'm joined by two panelists to discuss the topic of power and ethics and how that's currently playing out in society. We have Sasha Hope and Cara Leah Grant with us today. Sasha Hope is passionate about creating a world full of hope, compassion, and heart-centered living through her embodiment teachings, including ecstatic dance, yoga teacher trainer, training other teachers, and a vast myriad of other inspirational content. Karalia is a classical Tantra teacher, author, and facilitator focusing on deconditioning, identifying all the patterns, behaviors, and wounds that are stopping people from expressing their full potential. All of us love juicy conversations. Join us in ours. So, eclipse season, Scorpio. Who's, who's, who's a bit of Scorpio? <laughs> <laughs> No one can see us if we're on a podcast. We put up our hand. <laughs> I've got a Scorpio ascendant. Yeah. Yeah, and I have a Scorpio sun sign. I have a lot of Scorpio energy for sure. Great. Great. And I'm of the generation that has Uranus and Scorpio. So there's, there's a little bit <laughs> out of planet or whatever. But yes, here we are on this uh, Scorpio new moon. Power and ethics. Now, you guys have been delving into this a little bit recently um, in terms of topics. And I mean, I guess all of us have kind of mused over it in some respect since, um, was it 2017, around that like hashtag me too started coming out and people started admitting in society that there were power imbalances um, going on, especially in terms of the men, woman kind of thing. Um, Power and ethics, where do we start? Uh, well, I, I can speak into that. Where to start? I know that as a woman becoming older and so therefore coming into my power more and more, and also as someone like I'm a presenter, a facilitator, a teacher, what I've noticed in the last three or four years, I can feel, particularly because of the, the practices I'm doing, I can feel myself becoming more powerful. And so in that, I've really been attuning to and inquiring in and going, shit, how do I, how do I deal with this? Because I started to realize I was afraid of power. I was afraid of my own power, afraid of misusing power, afraid of abusing power. And starting to realize that if I had any, you know, karmic patterns running that I was unconscious of or unable, that were more powerful than me per se, that they would run through the power as such, that things would become in essence more dangerous as I became more powerful so it's been a big thing for me in the last three or four years as a teacher as a woman to really inquire into power 
write a song called power hmm Ooh. hmm yeah I'm just thinking of the lyrics like power I denied it for so long and told myself that I was wrong and I and I feel like that's how we grow up in, in a way like I mean you know parents and just doing what we do to kind of live in the society where it's not acceptable to have a tantrum in the middle of the mall um <laughs> or anywhere for that <laughs> where there's other people from that matter so yeah we've been kind of told that we're wrong especially as as women to actually speak out and that's where I think the tides are turning and shifting and uh and yeah a lot of that's started to come come in recently in terms of um I guess the the kind of scenes that we um the three of us frequent in terms of uh workshop facilitators um all of us being workshop facilitators in in our different ways I know that I've generally been more comfortable with female teachers and facilitators because I don't feel that that the the power thing like with some men not all men (laughs) um but also some women have that kind of power power thing and and Donna Fahey's book Teaching Yoga really covers that ethical stance of what it means to be a teacher and I know that one of the teacher trainings um, that I did explicitly had as part of the ethic teacher conduct that you weren't to be in a relationship with any of your students like it was clearly spelt out and I know someone who did want to date one of their students and said hey I'm interested in being in a relationship with you um if you want to like she told me the story like this if you want to uh we I can't be a teacher anymore Hmm. Wow, what a beautiful story of transparency and honesty and really valuing and understanding that teacher-student dynamic. Mm. I feel like maybe it's something in society that we aren't, it's, it's just hasn't been addressed. And so it's this whole societal shift of, viewing things differently like consent cultures coming in um like it's okay to say no I mean it's it's kind of a tough talk I'm I'm not a parent I'm kind of really glad that I'm not like, <laughs> like it's just yeah I guess every parent generation goes wow there's different issues to deal with than when I grew up <laughs> yeah I think it's like I think back to when I was a teenager and when I was in my early 20s like I was really aware entering my early 20s and starting to um, interact with the working world I was so aware of the way that men perceived me as a young woman and the way that they held and um, wielded power and I fucking hated it I did not like it but I didn't know how to deal with it so to a degree in some ways I just exited you know I'm going overseas so I can't deal with this I don't have the the resources or the skill to deal with all of these subtle dynamics that I could feel playing out because I was um, I trained as a journalist so I went and interned at newspapers and I interned at TV3 so and I was in the newsroom and I was just like I don't like this 
I don't like the way you're looking at me. Don't like the way you're talking to me. Don't like your underlying assumptions. Don't like the dynamics here. Don't like the way you're discounting my perception of reality. But it was, I, I didn't feel like I could name it or that anybody would have listened to me. And it just felt like, ah, I'm not equipped for this. I'm out, I'm going overseas. Let's go party. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it was interesting because I know that both of us did the going overseas thing in Canada where it's a little bit more muted. Like culturally, it's a little bit different in terms of that. Yeah. What's your experience, Sasha? Although I was going to ask, it's a little bit more muted, but I, I, I haven't, I didn't do the going overseas things as a young woman. I was a mum, married at 22, mortgage. I did the real settling down thing. <laughs> So I, I do wonder, you know, like, I'm sure it was muted, but what's coming up for me is, you know, we live in such a patriarchal conditioning world. And as a parent, what you were referring to, then I often think of, like, what were we taught about saying no? Like, no is one of the first developmental words that we learn. And, you know, what what were we taught? What did we teach our children? And what did we teach our boys? And, and what do we teach our boys? And what do we teach our girls around saying no? You know, it's, I guess the thing that's coming up for me is this topic is so huge. It's, it's such, it's, it's such a structural on a cultural level of programming. And how do we look at that? And how do we, you know men for me men are suffering just as much in this dynamic where they feel it's okay to be power over like this whole understanding of power it's like a power over and what was coming through before is like the feminine perspective of in and even these words masculine feminine but this in power like when we feel in our power this ability to be able to empower others and I don't think that's a man and a woman thing but I think it's what we've learned about being in relationship to power you know what does that mean as opposed to we're so conditioned I think that's why we run away from power is because power means power over as opposed to as we've talked about as women as we get older we feel our power and for me this this deep yearning and desire to empower others and i wouldn't even say empower it's to actually just help support them to understand that the power that they have within them be underneath all of that conditioning mm. so that was like a big... <laughs> yeah hmm. it is i mean it's a it's we're it's, we're living through the product of how the world has brought us to where we are today so it's confusing when people say hang on the way we're living is wrong and then it's kind of like well what do we do how do we change that I mean we can't just sit here and bitch about well this is wrong because so and so did this and so and so did that mm -hmm. it, it, it doesn't work like that it's, this is a ginormous culture shift where how do we where do we take it what's the vision like and mm -hmm. yeah I think what I find beneficial um, from a tantric view perspective, there's nothing wrong here. There's nothing wrong. There's, there's just what's happening. And as you both just alluded to, this is the product of all of the conditioning of not just on a personal level or a family level or a country level. It's like a globe. It's all of those layers of conditioning. We're living under the conditioning of the colonial mindset. 
you know, that's a whole layer of conditioning that's there. The, pa the patriarchy, another whole layer of conditioning. Um, the way that we women are programmed now with, with uh, marketing and, and stuff around anti-aging, et cetera, that's a whole other layer of conditioning that never existed pre-people realizing they could make a shit ton of money off, you know, playing on women's or, and men's fear of aging. So there's these multiple levels of conditioning and they play out until they don't. So I think that you're asking the right question there in terms of, or the most beneficial question, it's like, if this is happening, how do we respond? Um, and I know for me, it's, I have to do my own work. Like, where am I conditioned? Where's my, where are my patterns playing out? Where am I out of alignment with power? And then how do I support other people to do that work, recognizing that I can only support them as far as I've done the work myself? I suspect my astrology teacher would say, yes, that's Chiron, the wounded healer, going through mm. Eris, which is primarily about ourself. But <laughs> mm. I don't know. But, yeah, I mean, and that's the interesting thing about living in a society that's conditioned into a highly individual perspective, right? The sense of like, oh, we have to do all our individual work. And that does affect the collective field. But how do you change the construct as a whole, you know, there's so many inbuilt assumptions on how the world works that are just assumptions, right? Mm. Uh, and that's that that work on the cultural level. I do think we're seeing some shifts around that with the Me Too movement. That was a huge big deal when all of those, mostly women and men, started to say, "Yeah, Me Too, Me Too," and people started to go, "Shit, this is normal for women to be or people." to be harassed and abused and assaulted. This is just the normal thing that happens because we live in a power over society, right? So. I th and I think what we're talking about is also like this question of like, we can see all of this, like we're speaking to this and, and how do we move through it? Like one of the things that I, I've been sitting with is, like we said, we, we're in this collective conditioning so that these dynamics play out. We're at a point where we're, as a collective, starting to see the dynamics. And then I think the bigger question that we're asking, particularly in our community, is how do we move through it? Because we can see that the, the structures that are already in place are not, they don't necessarily work. You know, they're not, it's like the the patriarchal paradigm that creates these structures and we can see like from that paradigm lens it's the this is wrong this is bad we need to punish that person mm -hmm. and I don't think that's that's not shifting and changing anything and I mean I'm still sitting with I don't have the answers apart from having these conversations apart from educating and having more conversations around it and talking more about it but I, I still for my own self I, I certainly don't have the answer like you said Carolee like we can keep working on our own selves and of course that ripples out but what is the most effective way I suppose to start to create change yes it's awareness and that's what we're doing we're having this discussion going hmm, we don't have all the answers and maybe the people listening will <laughs> think well I don't have all the answers either or maybe they'll go oh I've got an answer I mean who knows you know mm. yeah. I think it is beneficial too when if people are listening to this kind of conversation um to recognize that if you want things to be different the best place to start is within yourself 
is to look at, well, what am I, what's my relationship to power? What are my patterns? Where am I vulnerable? Where am I susceptible? Like I know in the past, I've had a vulnerability to charismatic, manipulative, certain kinds of men because they're fucking sexy and I love them. And they're like, oh my God, you know? And then I started to realize that interacting with them wasn't necessarily beneficial. And there was suffering in that because I was lying to myself in some ways and they were deceiving me, you know? And there was this sort of, self-deception and being deceived and all of that and I just got smarter and started to see it and went okay I gotta sort this shit out so there's always going to be those men out there those gorgeous charismatic manipulative deceiving men are always going to be there what do I do so that I don't get sucked in and if I do get sucked in how do I take responsibility um and just enjoy the experience for what it is <laughs> There's some no, knowing agreed <laughs> agreement noises coming. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I think like as we've talked about in our circles, it's something that I've watched within myself and I've watched play out at festivals. The, the way we are as women around powerful men and I've seen it's like a magnet. <laughs> They're magnetic. That's it. <laughs> but yeah, what I've noticed, and I wonder, I don't know if we've had this conversation, Carolia, like as facilitators in these spaces, and we also hold big space. My own experience is that it's very different for me as a woman. It's almost like people are like, I'm not sure what to do with this woman that seems to, <laughs> that stands on the stage and says some things, you know, it's quite a different dynamic. It's really interesting. I've and I think, yeah, yeah, no, you go. Um, I've lost my train of thought. So oh, you go, well, so okay, <laughs> clearly my turn. I've, I've noticed over the years that you can have two people that do the same thing, a man and a woman, and from the conditioning, it's often that the attention goes to the man, even if the woman is better. And I mean, that's a classic glass ceiling from corporate from God knows how long ago, but I, I do notice it in like yoga and music and, and that kind of thing as well. And I was <clears throat> listening, I heard on the radio that a study was done on the amount of, I think, female vocalists versus male vocalists on, on just on the radio in general. And it was 80% male was played mm. and and I'm like okay so is it the music playing with male vocalists that means people are more used to male vocalists so they prefer them I personally prefer female vocalists I always have <laughs> um and so then because the people want it because they haven't been educated differently or had that kind of smorgasbord to see that variety like do we just get stuck in a particular culture because of the blinkers of oh well this sells advertising you know <laughs> revenue and I mean that expands as well towards mm. facilitators in general mm. oh here's this powerful woman standing on stage oh I didn't have many powerful women role models when I was growing up it was all men you know I mean things have changed a bit now um there's a lot more females in, in leadership roles but it's it, yeah it is like it doesn't really matter if it's woman or man like it is it embodying the masculine and not the tender masculine like the powerful masculine whether it's someone who's a woman or a man I'm just asking the questions happy for I, you. 
<laughs> I love these questions and I love what you just said too, Sasha. And I think there's a couple of factors at play. Um, I think that some powerful charismatic men are running a particular kind of hooking energy, it's seduction. And so they're surrounded by people after a show or a presentation because that energy is literally sucking people in. And I don't see you running that particular energy, Sasha, when you do what you do. You're powerful, you're sexy as fuck, you know, you're up there, but you have a, there's a containment, right? Where you that's not happening. So I think that's one factor is that, the, you know, like I deliberately contain, I don't run sexual energy when I'm presenting, et cetera. And I can do it if I choose, you know, and it's very, very different how I come across when I do that, but it's just not appropriate. There's no need for it in that particular setting. It, it would be detrimental to the body of work I'm doing. Um, so I think that's a factor is that some people have a seduction energy that runs and maybe the men tend to let it run more often because maybe they feel safer. Like as a woman, I could feel quite unsafe if I run that energy because what if I'm surrounded by throngs of people that I don't want there? Mm. <laughs> Whereas I think for a man, it's like, yeah, I'm surrounded by throngs of people. And they're, they're physically more powerful. You know, it's, it's a different dynamic. Um, there was an, and I think what you're saying too, Sarah, in, in terms of the way that we perceive power and the way that we, it's like in our culture, maybe there's a part of us that is as a whole seeking the powerful man and afraid of the powerful woman you mm. see and and that kind of runs as well so what you said Sasha that you sometimes feel like people don't know what maybe you said that Sarah people don't know what to do with this powerful woman on the stage etc because potentially the powerful woman triggers more um the feeling of not safe whereas a powerful man might depending if he's you know might trigger a feeling of safe Mm. I mean, it's, you know, and even in the world today, for some women, it's like, if they don't have a husband or a man, they don't, they don't survive. And, and the more powerful that man, the more likely chance they'll be looked after and their children will be looked after. So, and it wasn't that long ago for us in the West that it was exactly the same, right? So of course that dynamic is there, whereas a woman, and as Sarah you spoke to we just don't have these models of women in power it's not a 50 50 I think it's you know like the the woman leaders in the world is less than 10 percent and that's leaders and you know it's starting to change and shift in other roles something I've noticed lately when I've dived into Netflix occasionally is this is a little bit off topic but there's more and more um series that are coming out and films that are coming out with lead female actresses and they're the total leads and that's what i realized is seeing that is i didn't actually even realize that it was such a thing until now i'm seeing a different thing <laughs> if that makes sense you know i was just it was what i grew up with it was always the male lead actor and now i'm like wow this is so cool and even for me as a woman that feels relatively empowered in the world, seeing these women and their stories play out, you know, in the role, it's, it's empowering for me. That's what I'm noticing, which is a really beautiful thing to witness. Starting to see those subtle changes starting to come more and more on board. But I do think we've still got a long way to go. Mm. I've been noticing that too and really being happy about it. So, yeah, the culture changes slowly coming in yeah mm. 
ditto Netflix, man. I noticed the same thing. I'm like scrolling through when it's the older movies. It's like men, 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 men. I'm like, where the fuck? And then the, the newer ones are, oh, way more women. And not just women acting, but women actually, was it maybe the Queen's Gambit? I watched one particular series and I'm like, this feels different. This has a different lens on life. And then when I looked into it, it was a woman director, a woman writer, woman production crew. And I'm like, oh my God, the the lead, the way they were perceiving her journey as a woman wasn't through a man's perspective. It was like, this is new. And then I'm like, what the, you know, why, like you said, Sasha, why so long to get to this point? Well, some of us are ahead of the times, right? <laughs> Be the early adopters and pull everyone over. <laughs> Yeah. So then is it our responsibility then as women to claim our power to be in and not and to claim power from a um, a clean perspective, not a power over perspective, because there, there is this all of this conditioning like men aren't going to hand it over necessarily. Mm. Mm. Yeah, right. <laughs> I think, I think it, would. I think yeah. someone would. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's also um, what you spoke to, Karalia, and this thing of, I think it's also important to talk to you, like we've talked a lot about mm, the masculine dynamics, but also what you were touching on, Karalia, like the female, you know, the female has her shadow as well. And we also see that, like the woman that will intentionally also run the eros to get what they want in the world like how many instagram yogi photos of women in bikinis and like booty shots <laughs> and i've certainly gone maybe i just need to do that to like <laughs> totally let's get some more followers <laughs> i mean i'm not i you know i'm very clear it's like i'm i'm not gonna do that <laughs> Yeah. But, it, but it is a noticing, you know, and, and I'm also, um, I mean, I teach work around sensuality and I think it is a beautiful thing to have in our being and to be connected with and, and to uh, navigate the world from this feminine perspective of feeling the ability to create from ease and pleasure and being mindful of how we're using that and not manipulating that and not like our shots and bikini shots and you know so that's a lens as well i'm not saying that that is wrong but also witnessing when when the female when women pull that out as well because yeah. we have as yeah. much shadow in these arenas as men i think can yeah. the potential the potential is there especially as we see more women step into power we're also going to see these dynamics play out mm. totally agree like I've been reflecting in the last week on my um journey with men and sexuality and I'm like oh shit you know here's me using my sexuality to get this guy who actually really genuinely genuinely liked me like he had a heart connection I just had a sexual connection I didn't care went the sexual connection with him broke his heart and I'm like mm -hmm. oh this is me in my shadow using sexual power in my youth and not caring about the man's heart um yeah. not cool and I was unaware of it at the time and just keen to get it on because he was hot <laughs> and it made me feel good <laughs> I've certainly done lots of that in my younger years as well and I think 
like I've, I've been reflecting on this lately too ultimately I know for me personally in my younger years that I used my I used my sexual energy to outsource my masculine it was like I didn't meet my dad till I was 14 so I've, I've had to work really hard on my father wound and my you know relationship with him we get on really well now but what i realized is i was outsourcing that it was like please love me and i'll use my sexuality to get what i need and i think it comes back to what you were saying carolia like that this inner work of understanding these patterns of why we're doing what we're doing and we're going to we're also going to make mistakes in that and we're going to slip and we're going to trip and then having that like you said sarah the awareness of it and having community that can lovingly go, do you think that's the best thing, the way that thing that you're doing? <laughs> it's like, what? there's a little, I see your shadow showing, there's your shadow. <laughs> and that's okay, because we love you. But... <laughs> and we all have it. <laughs> yeah, it can be a quite a perfectionistic society, especially with social media. And yeah. Mm. Mm frame that Sasha is beautiful the ways in which any or all of us have used our sexuality to get our needs met right and so if we look at people like you know I have no I don't really know the story of Harvey Weinstein etc and all the stuff that went down but just as an example of a man in a position of power that used to lord it over and seduce you know the young actresses etc he would have been meeting his whatever unconscious needs it wouldn't have been just about sex per se or just about power there was something mm. in there where he was doing the best he could to meet the needs in a way that was harmful to others um uh, i've been listening to a, a bit of gabriel mate lately and his you know those of us that know gabriel mate he talks a lot about trauma but he's coming in i was hearing him speak which i really love it's not only what has been done to you so say we've come from childhood trauma it's also what was not done to you and this is coming back to that societal thing like just in general you know in our generation and generations previous our parents were taught not to pick us up when we cried you know so it's not necessarily a big trauma but it's a need that is not met simple things like my voice my needs my cries are not going to be met so these this patterning that gets done laid in a subconscious and then we begin to play it out as an adult well like how can i get my needs met and how can i you know so it starts i really love that framework of what he's saying is it's not only what happened to us it's also the needs that we didn't get met from a yeah from a very early age like the from the birth story to the very early years in our life of how we were met and most of us were not met in the ways that we were needed to be met because mm -hmm. of the society that we live in true that true that so we're so back to we the dance <laughs> <laughs> so, so then we will the use dance. our power what's that we're back to the dance here of like mm -hmm. recognizing this is just what's happening it's always been happening we're more aware of it can we can we dance it with love and mm -hmm. and and lightness whilst doing less harm mm -hmm. that's right yeah yeah and then i think what happens is you can we do that and those of us that 
like you say, like Harvey Weinstein, like who knows what happened to him in his childhood. And then I think what happens is pe when people get into positions of power, they have even more impact to play out those unmet needs on a much greater scale, mm, creating way more harm. Mm. So I know that a lot of the talk about facilitation these days, especially if it's in uh, neo-tantra or like sensuality, sexuality kind of sense, um, is talking about the facilitator being trauma-informed. Do either of you guys know much about that, given that you probably can't somewhat work in, in those spaces um, a, a little bit? Um, especially being a yoga teacher and teaching teachers of yoga. I'm looking at you, Sasha. <laughs> yeah. Um, yes. I, I, the short answer is yes. I certainly don't call myself a trauma expert. And, and intention, like, yes, I've trained in trauma and understand how to hold trauma in an embodiment space. And I think when we're holding containers that we know is going to bring up emotion i think it's really important for us as facilitators to understand normal emotional release or um, i wouldn't even say normal what's normal emotional release and a trauma response and knowing what to do with it when it arises more than anything because the reality is is trauma can be triggered it, it just can be triggered and sometimes it can be you can be really mindful with your languaging and invitational and letting people know what's going to happen within the container, like setting up those safe containers from a trauma-informed lens and things are still going to come up. And I, I think it's really important as a facilitator to know how to manage that. And there was definitely been conversation in our community of how do we manage that in a festival? What do we do? what do we do if that comes up you know and is there is there a safe space and can we create safe spaces in a i mean a festival is different right to a teacher training and where you've got your assistants and you know what's going to happen and you can keep an eye on that person and really take care of them as opposed to this is one of the conversations that came up is it safe in a festival setting where trauma can be opened up and then what because often people are just left to their own devices mm. Mm. yeah so i think yeah coming back i think it's really important as a facilitator to have you don't need to go and do a whole i i believe you don't need to go and do like a whole three-year education into trauma but I, I think it's really wise for yourself as a facilitator to do some education and there's lots of education out there at the moment around this yeah Mm. <clears throat> um, similar to what Sasha said in terms of when I'm leading bodies of work the expectation is I know trauma is going to come up of course it's going to come up because of the nature of the work that we're doing is purification of the mental emotional realm and the energetic realm which is where this stuff gets stored so I'm working both with a classical tantric understanding of how uh, of trauma um, and I've also studied it from the Western medical model as well, plus direct experience. And I would say that, you know, any facilitator or teacher who is doing any body of work that has the ability to open people up into that stuff needs to know how to hold it because mm. there's a responsibility. You, you might have all the skills to open people up into intensity and catharsis and what, let's go. But if you don't have the skills to hold them and to bring them back into integration, 
and to bring them back into a regulated nervous system, you've got no fucking right taking them into openness like that, you know. Um, and when it comes to festivals, like I, when I present at festivals, I teach in a particular way so that I'm minimizing the risk that people are going to go into that level of um, conditioning and trauma release, et cetera, because it is not the right space. I don't have the capacity or the capability to necessarily work with someone in the same way that I do when I'm in a container. I mean, in the container, I've got 12 to 18 people maximum at the moment. So I can attend to everyone. I can see where their nervous system is. I know if they've gone into disassociation or they're starting to have a PTSD reaction and can work with that. But festivals, man, you got 100 people in the room. Like, yeah, it can be aware of them all, but if shit starts popping off, can I deal with it all? Probably not, you know. Um, so I think that from a festival perspective, the conversations that I've been having is we need, uh, we need spaces, like a space at a festival that is consistently held. So there's people who are holding that space, you know, all the way through where anyone having a bad trip, bad relationship stuff, getting blown open in a workshop, freaking out because they've never been to a festival before, they can come to that space and be held and just get into some nervous system regulation basically and have some context for their own experience um and i think that's the way to do it is to have these particular sanctuaries at a festival and everyone knows where they are everyone knows that's where you go um and it's a bit of a backstop because people are walking out of workshops at festivals blown wide open freaking out and you know that's without all the drugs i mean we don't see that many drugs in the festivals we go to which is great um yeah. But I think it's a big piece of the picture and the festivals I've been going to haven't had that before, haven't recognized the need for it. And I think they're starting to recognize, oh, we need to do this because the work feels like it's getting more powerful. People are breaking open faster and quicker from small things. Just being in a festival environment is enough to break people down into their trauma, let alone going into a workshop. <laughs> Mm. especially mm. after the last couple of years not really being around a huge amount of people and then I've always been super social and I get to a festival and go okay it's been a few hours I need to go and be by myself in the tent for a while <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, I think that's I, a real I, thing that's a real thing and I love what you spoke to Karalia around you didn't say it in these words but I invite people that are holding space to really feel into this to teach what's in front of you you know like you say like to the setting like you're at a festival there's so many people i think we can go in with these preconceived like this is my workshop this is the structure of it and not necessarily shifting and changing to the environment that you're in and is that appropriate right here and now because we know as facilitators how deep we can take people but like you say, when it's a lot, a lot of people, you know, teaching to the midline of the group as opposed to I'm here to like transform and take everybody, even the people that are like, this is their first time and just doing some breath work is really radical for them. And like you say, is going to cre create that dysregulation and that disassociation and, you know all of those things in the nervous system and we we just don't have the capacity afterwards to be able to hold them so it's much more responsible to teach what's in front of you teach to yeah. the midline yeah mm. Mm, I like that I think also Sarah what, what you said in terms of we've you know just had the two years or so that we've had 
as a whole, society is becoming more and more traumatized. Right? The way that society functions, the levels of mental health issues, et cetera, et cetera, all of this is reflection of like remembering trauma is not about what happened to you. It is about how your system interpreted and put meaning on and digested or did not digest what happened to you. And so it's like there's this compounding impact happening where people don't have the tools, the context or the understanding to digest fully their experiences. And we've had so many traumatic experiences as a whole. You know, the whole trauma of, vaccine mandates etc cetera, etc cetera. that's a whole trauma that needs to be addressed as a country that's just on top of all the other traumas that this particular land has lived through in the last however many hundred years um, it's almost yeah. like yeah the universe always has to have some kind of a generational trauma and in other parts of the world they've been having traumas over and over i remember going to the, the red cross museum in geneva and I only went because it was the only thing open on a Sunday because nothing's open here on the Sunday. And I'm so glad I went. I looked at this map and it showed a timeline of wars and locations in the world. And it, it showed me that at any one time, there's always like 100 wars going on on Earth. And I thought, how lucky are we that we haven't had a war and since, I don't know, grandparents' generation but we've had this. It's a different kind of thing. And I mean, there have been wars. There's been, you probably know some people from former Yugoslavia, for example, that kind of starts to impact us a little bit. Um, but we've been so lucky. And now we, we've had this these events that just, I mean, everyone's going to be, there was life before that and life's different after that. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, and I feel like one of the pieces that I've noticed is when trauma arises, you know, I sort of said we don't know when it's going to arise, but often actually it's when things start to settle and when we start to feel safer. And I think we're going to see more and more of it arising, like you spoke to, Karalia, is like as we kind of, as people are like, okay, we made it through to some degree of that, then it's kind of like, and what we didn't have the resources, the tools to digest, it's going to come up because that's ultimately, you know, we're here to evolve and the body will bring it up for us to look at. And have we got the resources, the tools, the support? And as space holders, we are part of that, you know, guiding people to build the resources within themselves to, as you said, Carolia, to digest what mm. it is that they couldn't at the time. Like we only have so much capacity right to process at certain times we just because it takes time to process that's the thing <laughs> and we have these lives that we have to keep moving <laughs> huh. um i know when i came home from overseas like i didn't really i worked freelancing whatever i didn't work very much because i needed the time to process what i lived through through awakening psychosis etc needed the time um it's something else is that when so when things get locked away in the body it takes energy out of our energy body and as the energy body starts to lose vitality lose energy it can digest less so then more stuff gets locked away and so more energy is getting locked away so it can digest less so there's like this compounding situation that starts to happen um, fortunately it works in the other direction as well 
that when we digest something that's stuck in the system, it will release that energy back into the energy body. And then we have more capacity to digest the next thing and more capacity and more capacity. Um, and one of the beautiful things about that process is that if you're working with a, a practitioner, their energy body kind of like hooks into your energy body in the same way that the nervous systems will co-regulate. And so the capacity of their energy body will support you to digest what's there that then releases the thing back into your energy body. So you get more capacity. Um, so I think that's a part of what we're seeing too, is that people's capacity to digest, they're just clogged the fuck up. Like the shit is clogged up, you know? <laughs> it's constipation. So much constipation, like seriously, so much. <laughs> So I think we live, you know, sort of going back to the beginning of our conversation, we live in a world and a society where we're so conditioned to keep doing, you know, and like we see it processing takes time. And it's this thing is we're not, we, we often feel like we should be doing and actually I call it the non-doing space. Like, can we allow ourselves to be in the non-doing space? Because as you said, when we take the time to non-do or to sit and process it actually frees our energy up a lot more so we have more energy then but it's sometimes we're so taught just to keep pushing on to keep driving on you know and that's for all of us men women giving ourselves permission to pause mm -hmm. to take a moment to really notice what is happening as we've said, come back to again and again this thread of awareness like what is really happening mm. for me yeah mm. yeah mm. 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 and this ties in just to loop it back to that just aware of time as well it ties into like understanding our tra traumas create patterns patterns create dynamics dynamics create suffering right so that when we're able to go in and digest trauma we're more likely then to start to interrupt the patterns the dynamics that are causing the suffering you know so we've been giving our power away externalizing our power giving it away to men and unconsciously or in a um a non-beneficial way using seduction energy to try and get what we want like all of that stuff when there's the healing of the traumas those patterns can start to drop away um and what i noticed in my own life is i started to get attracted to different kinds of people i'm like well you're a different type i haven't been attracted to your type before um because the patterns are changing you see the patterns are changing so when it comes to power and ethics i think mm. no like yeah noticing what you're vulnerable to what what pattern runs in you that means that you're vulnerable to a certain kind of external person and having that awareness so that you can mitigate if you you know if you start to interact with the person like that it can be like wait a second i know this pattern I know this type, I know it leads to this kind of suffering. I might choose something different. <laughs> yes. yes. And I'd like to, you know, it's like, it's that. And as we know, like there's also this, we also need these guidelines in place. Like you spoke to Sarah, like Donna Fahey speak, speaks to so beautifully. She's so clear on her ethical teachings. It's like, doing the inner work ourselves, but also having these, these guidelines in place to go, hey, that, that, what's happening there, that dynamic is not okay, or that is, 
you know, something that um, Carolia and I have been working on in the background, and as you know, Sarah, is reaching out to festival organisers and um, asking if they'll put a code of conduct and ethics in so when facilitators get accepted they read through it so that they're also educating themselves because they might have come through a pathway that I don't like in your it's there in yoga you would hope in a yoga training that you're getting taught about ethics but mm. I'm not sure you know there's a lot of other modalities that are coming in is it taught in the breath work is it taught in the cacao offering you know I'm I'm sure it's taught in your lineage as well um Karalia with the classical tantra which is part of my teachings as well but you know it's it's both right the inner work and also these structures and this education mm. yeah mm. absolutely agree for sure um and, you know, just makes sense, say, eh? don't have sex with your students because it's going to lead to karmic entanglement, which will probably lead to suffering and probably the person with the least amount of power is going to experience the most amount of suffering. <laughs> and I think that in a nutshell. <laughs> yeah. And even like what we've spoken to, it's not even sex with your students. It's, you know, it's energetic, you know, it's playing and using your power to outsource your needs, right? And it's going to yeah. cause more pain and suffering for yourself and for those around you. Mm. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I, so I want to emphasize that, that yeah, in its most gross form, like gross as in um, physical, it's sex. But there's so many other ways going all the way down to the subtle where a, a teacher or a facilitator will play games and get their needs met by energetically, you know. And mm -hmm. what I'm noticing is that some of those facilitators, teachers, presenters, they don't have the subtle awareness to even recognize or be aware of what they are doing. For them, it's invisible. So they feel like they're doing nothing wrong. They're like, what am I doing? I'm not doing anything wrong. It's like, ah, so yeah, you're running this whole sort of energetic like thing. They don't feel it. They don't know. <laughs> Well, that's why we call it shadow, right? <laughs> <laughs> I have a little shadow that goes in and out with me. Because <laughs> I can't see it. Yeah. And we all have that, right? We all know those of us that do our work, we're like, until, you, you know, you don't see it until you see it. And then you're like, oh, yeah. God. Yeah. Oh, that feeling, hey. You're like, no. <laughs> Seriously? I've been doing this all my life. Oh. Oh self-compassion yeah well I mean I hope that my peers colleagues friends just looking at the two of you I really hope that shit gets pointed out to me you know and like I'm open and well I want to receive that and do the work around it um not all people want to have shit pointed out to them even when they're in leadership positions you know especially and I'm thinking more of kind of more of the mainstream the business world corporate. <laughs> I mean you get leaders in any setting who have the humility to be able to take that on and you you know when you've met someone like that and then there's mm. the no we can't we can't upset the apple cart but really the apple cart has like rotten apples and the whole cart's gonna like end up having to be binned you know yeah mm. Mm, so many juicy things to contemplate. Indeed, indeed, yeah. It's such a, it's such a vast topic, you know, and we're only really just touching the surface. And like we said, more conversations around it, more questioning and curiosity from the 
from the not knowing space of like, how do we bring this into more awareness? How do we lovingly have conversations around this? And how do we vision a new way of the world being around power and people in leadership roles? Mm. Mm. Love it. Love all those questions. You know, we're coming into festival season. So we've got a really good opportunity as a community to A, bring in the code of ethics, B, bring in the sanctuary spaces, have the conversations together and to lovingly name when we see things that maybe need to have attention drawn to, you know, and I would love to see more of the men doing this too, you know, brothers, you know, when you see your brothers acting in ways that you know are manipulative or coercive or an abusive power, et cetera, have the courage mm. to name it with that brother. And if you feel uncertain, get another brother with you. So there's two of you, right? Because I know it, it's freaking scary to call, I don't want to say call someone out. It's, it's scary to say, hey, I'm seeing this and it's concerning me. But we have, we need to do it. We can't be scared to speak up anymore. Like that's what I feel like. It's like we need to be able to speak into what we see. Hey, I see this. I'm seeing this. I can see that too. <laughs> I think one of the tools that I've learned along the way with peer feedback, and it's something I teach my students on my trainings, is peer-to-peer -peer feedback. And one of the things is, like, firstly, speak to what, what you love about what they do well you know someone's going to take feedback much more if they're not feeling attacked you know if, if they feel safe so one of the things is what do you see they're doing well and then and phrase it in a way that's like a question as opposed to uh again like a pointing out an attack it's like this is what i love about what you're doing and there's this piece that i'm not sure about like where are you coming from so that could be for those of you who feel brave enough to start to step up and have those conversations because as you said Carolyn, i think it's really important it's like they say it takes a whole community to raise a child i think it's going to take a whole community to start to begin to shift and change and that's one of the ways that i've felt helpful to come into difficult conversations is like this is what i'm loving you know and that helps us drop into heart space straight away this is what i'm loving and this is the curiosity, the question that I'm having. And then sometimes it might be like, and then this is, you know, we might need to get a bit more direct. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Sometimes people don't hear the curious questioning, but I love that you're teaching it like that. Because I remember one of the trainings I did, you, you, you said something positive, you said something they could work on, then you said something positive again. And, and I was so excited about learning this. It was a while ago, right? And then... I said that to someone and, and they're like, are you dealing me a shit sandwich? <laughs> <laughs> oh, <laughs> not intentionally. <laughs> oh, yeah. yeah. Praising tone, questioning. Absolutely. Yeah, it's great. Well, with that, um, yes, Scorpio is the representative of uh, hidden things, really, as well. Well, Pluto probably, the ruling planet of Scorpio. Um, but we are doing the uncovering. So thank you very much for our time together, having a bit of a chat and a contemplation about all these parts of power and ethics and how that plays out in lives. Yeah. Thanks so much. Mm. Mm. Thank you, Sarah and Sasha. Oh.
Uh, thank you both, beautiful woman, and beautiful to spend some time with you on a Monday afternoon approaching the Scorpio new moon. Mm. Yeah, get it in, get it in there quick in the dark of the moon so that we can serve it up. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Unraveling Midlife is brought to you from Aotearoa, New Zealand by www.sarahmalospence.com Theme music is by Sarah Marlow Spence and Sarasvati Marie Willis and art by Samantha Hepburn. <laughs>